Good morning. Today, uh, let's read from the book of Psalms, the fourth chapter. And if you're reading from your pew Bible, that can be found on page 448. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of God. God. I'm going to let you in on a little secret that goes up here, goes on up here in my mind. Every time I get up, I think to myself, look at your phone, Justin, and make sure you start your stopwatch so you know how long you're preaching. Because I know as a Trinity Kids volunteer, long sermons are not fun when you're in Trinity Kids, right? So last week I preached and I said to myself, I'm going to get my phone ready when I get up here. I had it out, had the stopwatch ready to go, and then I left my phone down on the pew. So to make sure I start the stopwatch, I'm holding myself accountable to you all and starting it right now. Well, I'm excited because we're starting a new series, a series that we've done in the past. Um, If you're new uh, this morning or if you started coming to Trinity in the last few months, each summer we take a few weeks to preach through a few different psalms. And there's two reasons why I love going through the psalms. The first one is because the psalms connect us to God's people throughout all of time. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, when we read the psalms, we start to see that People throughout all of history have struggled through some of the same problems, some of the same issues. And sure, they may look different on the surface, but as we read the Psalms, we recognize that the way our problems affect our heart, we share a lot of the same emotions. We see that what was relevant for God's people thousands of years ago remains relevant for us today. And so we are connected with God's people throughout millennia. But there's another reason I love studying the Psalms, and it's this. The Psalms give us words when we may not know what to say or when we may not know what to pray. See, there are times in our life where we're going through some difficult season and we're just not quite sure what to bring to the Lord. As we read the Psalms, the Lord helps us understand how we can come to him in prayer. He invites us to lament. He invites us to ask him difficult questions. He invites us to praise him, to show thanksgiving for all his blessings. The Psalms are such a great way for us to understand our own hearts and then to understand how can we respond in light of what we're feeling. And I think today is a really good example of that. See, a few weeks ago, and this wasn't necessarily planned, but it kind of came about as I was preparing this message. 
A few weeks ago, we had a sermon on church discipline, the difficult doctrine of what happens when there are brothers and sisters that have turned away from the faith and what God calls us to do as a church to call them back, to call them to repentance and faith. And we're going to see this morning in Psalm 4 that the psalmist, David, he gives us some language to think through when we consider brothers and sisters that are turning away from the Lord. He gives us a lens to look through that help us understand what should we do when there are those that we love that are turning away from the Lord and turning to idols. See, we're gonna see this morning that God is calling us to entrust our stumbling brothers and sisters to him. Entrust stumbling brothers and sisters to the Lord. And we're gonna look at three ways that we can do that. First, we're going to see that we need a call to the Lord in our distress. Second, we're going to see that we are to call stumbling brothers and sisters to repentance and trust in God. And lastly, we're gonna see that God is calling us to rest in joyful and peaceful confidence. This is not gonna give us a comprehensive walkthrough for every single thing we should do when there's someone we know and love that is walking away from the Lord, but it is going to help us to know a little bit more of how to call out to God and maybe some guidelines that the Lord is giving to us that we might follow. And there's probably a wide variety of people here this morning, right? When we think of brothers and sisters that might be turning away, we think of maybe some here in our midst, some here in the church that have decided that following Jesus, it's not a lot it's cracked up to be. For some of you here, it might be a son or a daughter who you've taught the faith for many years and they've decided to turn away from it. For others of us, it might be a friend, another family member. For others of us, we might be that person, right? We're going to see this morning that the Lord is inviting us to call out to him, to turn away from our idolatry, and to entrust both those whom we love and our own souls to him and his care. So let's dig into Psalm 4. God is calling us to call to him in our distress. You can see that starting in verse one. The psalmist says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. See, we see four things about how we are to call to the Lord in our distressing moments. First, we see that it's based on our righteousness, based on God declaring us righteous. Verse one says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. David is saying, Lord, I know you are righteous, but you have declared me righteous. And because you have declared me righteous, I come confidently knowing that I have access to you because you have declared me righteous. We see that this prayer is based on past deliverance. In the second line of that psalm, he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. David knows, oh, so many times he has been stressed out where his enemies have been coming after him, and time and time again, God has delivered him. So he's calling out to God based on what he's done in the past, his past deliverance. We also see that he's calling out to God expecting that God will act. Where do we see that? Well, we see in the third line of that verse, 
Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now, when David uses that word hear, it's more than just listening. It's more than God just hearing his voice. That word communicates that God will listen and that he will act. That in some sense, he will obey the call of David to the Lord. David is expecting that as he calls out, God will act. And then lastly, we see that it's caused by emotional distress. We see that in that second line, you've given me relief when I was in distress, and he finds himself in another distressing situation. But what is the distress? Well, we start to see a little bit more of it in verse two. Verse two says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? We see that his emotional distress, it's caused by the idolatry of those who are in the covenant community of faith. Those who would declare themselves at one point to be worshipers of God, they're now turning away from God and worshiping idols. They're trusting in false gods to provide for them. But where do I see that? Because we don't see the word idol or false god here. Where do we see this? Well, I wanna, I wanna break this down uh, looking at a few particular words. If you look at that word honor, it can also be translated glory. In fact, if you're reading the NIV, you would see the word glory there. And I don't think it's referring specifically to David, David's individual honor or David's individual glory. I think it's a reference to God's honor and God's glory. It's God's reputation. And we see that these people, they're turning God's reputation into shame. They are turning against the Lord. They're bringing, um, uh, they're bringing shame to the name of Yahweh. But it goes one step further. It's not, that, not just that they're questioning the reputation and the glory of the Lord. They're seeking false gods. That second line there, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? That word lies there, if you were to look at the NIV, you would see false gods. And I think that's a better translation than what we see here in the ESV. We see that these people that were worshipers of Yahweh, they are, for some reason, for one reason or another, they are turning away from the Lord and they are seeking provision, they're seeking fulfillment, they're seeking satisfaction in these false gods, these idols that are around them. In David's prayer, it's a lament for those who are stumbling, for those who are turning their back on the Lord. And I think this is where it can resonate with us because we, we each probably have someone in mind that perhaps is beginning to exchange worship for God or worship for something else or someone else. Right, most of us, we haven't bowed down to our Buddha statue, right? Most of us don't have a shrine to some false god that we are worshiping, but we are so prone to putting things or people on the throne of our hearts. Perhaps you're a parent and you have a child that is being wooed by their friends who's been kind of sucked into that peer pressure and they have this idol of acceptance. They wanna be accepted by those whom they care about. Perhaps you have a spouse that over time has become more and more obsessed with the accumulation of wealth, of money, of possessions. Or maybe you're here 
and you have a friend who is unsatisfied with what God teaches about sex, and they've forsaken the biblical sexual ethic, and they've begun to experiment, to go their own way. Perhaps others of you have a friend that, quite frankly, they just don't see the reason for coming to church on Sundays. They don't understand the value, and they don't really want to be a part of God's people anymore. There might be some of us here who have a friend like that, or there might be some of us that are that friend, right? I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning, and I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know that this psalm, it's not here to bring about shame. I'm not here to bring about guilt, but I do pray that the Spirit, as we read his word, would convict and would show the weakness of the idols that we are so prone to worship and would turn you back to repentance and faith. But I also want to be clear, too, that the, the, the being prone to wander, being prone to put idols on the throne of our hearts, that's what we're all tempted to do, right? So this psalm, yes, it's talking to us about how we can pray for those that are turning away, but it's also here as we are tempted to turn away to keep us on the guardrails, to keep us on that narrow path of following Jesus so that we can be reminded that um, seeking after false gods like money, like sex, whatever it might be, there's no true fulfillment in it. So we see that we all hear God is speaking to all of us. He's calling us all to trust in him and to call out to him in our distress. And that is the first part of this. When we have sorrow over those who are turning away from God, the Lord invites us to call out to him. And we'll see why as we continue through the psalm. So first we see that God's calling us to call out to him. But secondly, he is showing us that we are to call our brothers and sisters to repentance and to trust. And there's three ways that we can do that. And we're going to see that, see it starting in verse three. The psalmist says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. See, I think the first way we can call others to repentance is to challenge the hearing of their God, to challenge the hearing of their God. Well, what do I mean by that, and where do I get that? We see there in that second line in verse three, the Lord hears the godly. So David is explicitly saying, when I call out to the Lord because, I, because God has declared me righteous, the Lord hears me. But I think there's an implication there that the false gods that those who are, are turning away from the Lord that they're calling out to, their gods, they don't hear them. It reminds me a little bit of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It's a story we see in 1 Kings that reminds us of the uselessness and the weakness of idols. So Elijah, he's one of the prophets of God in the Old Testament, and he sees, he recognizes that the people of Israel, they're starting to be turned to this false god named Baal. There are many, many prophets that are urging the people of Israel to follow and worship Baal. And so Elijah says this, all right, fine, if that's what you want to do, I've got, a, I've got a challenge for you. You can take the 450 prophets of Baal and then just myself. Each of us will get one bull 
and whoever's God consumes that bull on the altar, follow that God. And so they each take for themselves a bull, they prepare an altar, put the bull on the altar for a sacrifice, and this is what we see in 1 Kings. We can go to the next slide, it should be up there. There we go. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made and at noon Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. I, I love the humor that Elijah puts into this, right? Well, perhaps he's in the bathroom right now. Uh, <laughs> you don't expect to see that in the Bible, right? But it's in there. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. See, when we call out to the false gods that we put on the throne of our heart, there's no voice. There's no one to answer. No one is paying attention. So we recognize that whatever it is that we want to worship rather than God himself, that God is deaf. He can't hear and he won't be able to answer. We look at the prophets of Baal and we, I mean, it's a, it's a very violent and kind of gruesome picture, right? They're cutting themselves. See, these people are insane. And of course, we don't cut ourselves um, to worship the God of money, right? There aren't things we do like that, um, that extreme, typically, when we um, have idols or false gods that we worship. But we do sacrifice things, right? We sacrifice our money. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our families. We sacrifice our, um, our relationship with the Lord. We, there is always a cost that will be paid when we worship false gods. What's encouraging though, is that we do have a God that does hear. This is the rest of the story. We can go to the next slide. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, brothers and sisters, our Lord, he is God. and He is the only one that deserves our worship. And so when we look at those who have turned away, we can challenge the hearing of their God and say, I know that you think that as you pursue your idolatry, as you pursue whatever it is that you think will make you satisfied, I know you think that your Lord will respond to you, but he is deaf. But we serve a God that will provide, that will hear our prayers and will answer. He will respond to our call. 
the Lord calls us to challenge the hearing of idols. And not, not in an in unkind way, not in an unloving way. But when the time is right, it's important that we point out where idols fall short of our Lord. So that's the first part. The second part, when it comes to calling brothers and sisters to repentance and trust, is to urge them to reckon with their idolatry. We see that starting in verse four. It says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. See that phrase there, be angry, um, I think it's better translated to tremble. We see when that word is used at different points in the Old Testament, we see the word tremble. And it makes sense because when someone is angry, they often tremble with rage, right? But I think this is David calling those who have turned their backs on the Lord to reckon with their sin, to reckon with their idolatry, to consider who they are turning away from. Right, as we just saw in Elijah and the prophets of Baal, they're turning away from the Lord who consumes animals on an altar from the sky. He is all powerful and all knowing. There's nothing we can do that will escape the knowledge of the Lord. So David is saying, fear the Lord. Know that he will deal justly with our sin. Sin will not go unpunished. Tremble before a powerful God who has wrath for our sin. Reflect on what's happening in your heart. He says, ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Often when we see a phrase like this in the Old Testament, when um, somebody is uh, kind of pondering on their beds, it's typically uh, the wicked kind of hatching their plan to enact uh, evil on God's people. So often we see they're staying awake at night to figure out what kind of wicked things they can do to mistreat God's people. But David's reversing it here. He's saying rather than um, uh, hatch your evil plans, instead of doing that, consider and reflect on your own heart who the Lord is and what he thinks of your idolatry. And here's where we see that the Lord, his posture is not is not one primarily of looking to strike down those who have turned their backs on him. No, the Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. The Lord invites us to turn away from our sin. And we see that in the next verse. David says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. See, he's saying, turn away from your sin. We know that throughout the Old Testament, they would offer sacrifices as a way to atone for the way they have disobeyed the Lord. And so he's saying, turn away from your sin, rather turn to the Lord and repent. But the main concern here are not the sacrifices. We see in other parts that the people of Israel, they're offering sacrifices, but their hearts, they're not in it. And the Lord wants our hearts. And that's where we see in the next line. That's what we see in the next line. Put your trust in the Lord. See, the, the, the culmination of David's call to those who have forsaken the Lord is to trust in him. See, the Lord himself, he is not pleased by just our trying to be righteous, by our trying to obey him. He is pleased with a heart that is completely trusting 
in him. And see, idolatry, it's all about directing our trust away from the Lord. Idolatry says that God himself is not able to provide for what we need. Idolatry says that the Lord himself, he can't give me what I want. He can't fulfill my longings and that I need to look elsewhere. At the end of the day, idolatry is about stealing our trust and our faith away from God himself. But the Lord calls us to trust in him. And that's what I want to emphasize. If you're here and you recognize that there are idols in my life, the Lord is inviting you to come back, to trust in him, to repent of that sin. And he, he loves you so much. And there are plenty of reasons why we should trust him. We trust him because he forgives us. How do we know that he forgives us? Well, we talked about it earlier this morning throughout our liturgy. Every single one of us, we are sinful people who have broken God's law. We deserve his wrath. We deserve eternal death and eternal punishment. And yet, God made a way, right? Jesus, through his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, he took God's wrath for you and for me so that we can be forgiven by the Lord. We owe God an eternal debt, but that debt has been paid by Christ on the cross. And so we can trust in him because we know that the Lord offers forgiveness for every single sin that you and I have committed. But it goes further than that. We trust the Lord because he loves us. We are so prone to wander. And when we wander, we are so prone to feel the guilt that comes with sin. But the Lord reminds us that he's like that father of the prodigal son. When he sees his son returning, he runs out to him and embraces him and kills the fattened calf to celebrate the return of his lost son because he loves his son so dearly. Brothers and sisters, that is the posture that our father has toward us. For those of you here that perhaps you have someone in mind that um, your heart aches for, you have that posture towards them probably, right? But the Lord, he has it a hundred times more than you could ever imagine. He is calling all people back to himself because he loves us dearly. But we also trust the Lord because he gives joyful and peaceful confidence. And that's the, the third point. The way we entrust brothers and sisters to the Lord is to trust him because he gives joyful and peaceful confidence. See, David has a confident hope that the Lord will come through that the Lord will answer his prayers, and that the Lord will give joy and peace in the midst of his sorrow and distress. Where do we see that? Well, we see that starting in verse seven. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. See, David gives us this picture of those who um, are worshiping idols, there are times where they may um, experience blessing. There may be times where their grain abounds, where they have abundant wine, especially in a culture like this where most people are barely scraping by on a day-to-day -day basis. This would be absolute luxury and a reason for great, great joy and celebration. David says, the pinnacle of their joy 
It's no match for the joy I have in the Lord himself. It's no match for the joy I have in the presence of God. David is saying, for those of us that know the Lord, we know a joy that no earthly pleasure could bring about to us. And while we encounter sorrow all throughout this life, for many of us now, there's probably some kind of difficult trial, struggle, or sorrow. We can have confident hope that the Lord will give a deep, inexpressible joy because we know him. And many of us have experienced that, right? There are times when in the deepest sorrow we experience some of the deepest joy in knowing the Lord. And yeah, it doesn't look like the same kind of joy that these people probably have when they have a lot of grain and a lot of wine. Probably looks very different than that. But as we know the Lord, as we know him more deeply, he brings joy to those who know him, love him, and trust him. It doesn't stop there. See, the Lord offers us peace. We see that in verse eight. He says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. See, it's interesting because David opens up this prayer with this call to the Lord in distress. We see that there's a degree of chaos, disorder, sorrow, a stressful situation that he's encountered. But we see this progression as he continues in this prayer that culminates in this peaceful confidence in the Lord. As I was thinking about this concept, I was reminded of uh, earlier this week or last week, um, Eli had his one-year appointment. And with the one-year checkup comes a few shots. Um, and so I don't, I'm not able to go to every one of his appointments, but I was able to go to this one because um, I had the day off. And so, uh, you know, you go through the appointment, he does pretty well, and at the end, uh, it's time for shots. Um, which, if you're a parent and you've held a child during that time, you know it's not, it's not an enjoyable experience. It's amazing because this is the first time I had to do it, and they have to give me like a crash course on Brazilian jiu-jitsu to like hold him so he doesn't flail all over the place, right? Pin his arm here and hold this arm. And of course, the, uh, the syringe goes into his arm, and he absolutely loses it. He is screaming. It makes me sad thinking about it. He is screaming his head off because he is hurt so badly. He is experiencing such distress, such chaos, such disorder. He doesn't know what's happening. All he knows is something hurts right now, and it's happening again and again. But I think about after the shots are over and the nurse leaves and we get him dressed up, I hold on to him and he snuggles in, buries his face into my shoulder. I take him out to the car, give him a bottle. We get home, he goes to sleep. He has peace. Brothers and sisters, that is the Lord's posture towards us in our sorrow. Yes, it is difficult. There are times where we are screaming because we don't understand the pain. And in this instant, instance, we don't understand why someone we love won't turn back to the Lord. The Lord says, you can trust in me. I will give you peace so that when you lie down at night, you can lay your head on your pillow and sleep through the night. This is the offer that the Lord brings to us as those calling out to those who are turning away. But it's also the offer that the Lord gives to all of us who are prone to worshiping idols. 
We will not find peace in the idols that we worship, but we will find peace in the Lord. See, this is, what, this is why I want to emphasize that we have to entrust all of this to the Lord himself. Because at the end of the day, we don't have power and we don't have control over what other people we do, will do. We have no power in and of ourselves to change the mind of someone who is tempted by the pleasures of this world. But the Lord reminds us in this last line that he is the one that makes us dwell in safety. And if he is the one that makes us dwell in safety, it means that he is the one that makes those we love dwell in safety. And so he, he calls us to entrust not only our brothers and sisters to him, but to entrust our own souls to him. So there are three, three things I wanna say as we wrap up. I wanna speak specifically to those of you in distress. For those of you that have someone in mind that you want the Lord to call back to himself, entrust that person to the Lord. Entrust that person to the Lord in his care. I'm reminded um, at Bible study a few weeks ago, uh, we were talking about what are some of the things that makes, uh, make us anxious. And I think the, probably the primary thing that makes me anxious now as a father is the well-being of my wife and child. And I think especially for Eli, he's, such a, he's a little baby. He's, he's so fragile. Um, and so I get very anxious about his safety. And I recognize that throughout all of his life, it's remained the same, right? So when we found out we're pregnant, we are worried about the first few weeks of pregnancy. And then you're worried about how the pregnancy is gonna progress. And then the day he's born, um, we ha Kels had to have a C-section. And so you're anxious about how that's going to go. And I realize part of being a parent is always, in some ways, worrying about your children, right? It never ends. But the Lord reminds us that at the end of the day, we don't have control over the safety of those we love. At the end of the day, it is God and God alone who makes us dwell in safety and who makes those we love dwell in safety. And so that means that for those that have turned away from the Lord, we offer them to the Lord and entrust that um, as we pray for them, as we talk, talk to them, as we share the gospel, as we call them back to the Lord, we trust God's word and we trust his spirit to apply his word. To those of you who are stumbling, to those of you who see yourself in this passage as one who has found a false god that you love to worship right now, know that your idol won't come through for you. See, we see in verse uh, six, there are many who say, who will show us some good? And it's a way of David saying, there are many out there that are asking this pantheon of idols, who out there, who can come through for us? Who can show us some good stuff? The reality is, none of them can. God himself is the only one that at the end of the day will come through. And you might be feeling some of that right now as you um, are wooed by whatever it is that tempts you. It is not fully satisfying. It's not providing fulfillment for your life. So know that your idol won't come through for you and know this, that God loves you, 
He is jealous for your heart. He is like that father running to you to embrace you as you run back to him. And I also want you to know that I love you and that we love you. This is not a place where we heap shame and guilt on one another. It's a place where we recognize that we are all sinners saved by the grace of God and we come alongside each other to help each other turn to the Lord in repentance and in faith. And then I wanna speak to all of us. We all need to entrust our souls to our Father every day. Recognize that the enemy, he is trying to make idolaters of us all. He would love nothing more than to trip us up and to distract us with the pleasures of this world. And so we must entrust our souls to our Father each and every day. And know this and rest in this confidence that as David says in verse eight, it is the Lord alone who makes us dwell in safety. At the end of the day, we, we will uh, work to hold on to God as tightly as we can, but we remain God's child because he is tightly holding on to us. So as you pursue the Lord and as you cling to the Lord, trust that he is clinging to you.